One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the home of the song story, which we implement to build biographical bridges between our guests and you. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is filmmaker Benjamin Murray. Ben grew up on a farm in western New York with three brothers but no sisters. My poor mother, his bio says. After an injury ended his baseball aspirations, Ben took up making movies, and by the age of 16, he was dead set on a film program in New York City. But he took a gap year and went to boot camp in Texas for search and rescue which broadened his horizons but proved to him he truly wanted to make movies and nothing else. Ever since, he's had two production companies and says he's made lots of award-winning short films, commercials, and a few fun movies. His IMDb page indicates he's been involved with a whole lot of film projects. Ben came our way via episode 70 guest, my childhood friend Bob Goodwin. Hey there, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so what brings you to our part of the world? Well, um, I'm shooting a little movie in um, St. Pete area. Um, so I've been coming down the last uh, couple months to kind of scout and prep for it. So um, I'm down here for a few weeks to, to shoot the film and uh, then back up to New York City. When you say little film, how little? So little it, meaning short. It's, okay, uh, so it's a short gonna, film. Yeah, it's going to be about 15 minutes. Um, it's a uh, getting us in the groove for some features we're going to do later this year. So kind of just uh, getting our feet wet again after not shooting narrative for a little bit during the pandemic. Understood. And, um, is this kind of getting back out on the road then? Yeah, it is. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a fun project. It's it's getting the rust off, right? It's like a it's um, like in professional sports when you have yeah. preseason games. This is something like that. And it's a great project. Like, yeah. I love the project. And What's the short version of what the project is? Um, or so, can, or do you, can you share? No, yeah. So it's it, it actually uh, is a standalone short, um, not necessarily a proof of concept or a, a small piece of a larger thing. Um, and I, I can't necessarily share too much about like what the story is or anything yet. But um, we're hoping to get it out really soon. We're going to premiere it in St. Pete, um, and it'll be in all the festivals in Florida. And, you know, we have a Fort Myers Film Festival that you should submit it to. We definitely will. Yeah, we are in our 11th year now. I, I'm the technical oh, fantastic. director. Well, then we definitely will. So um, um, what were you listening to in your car on your way here? Um, I was listening to Dashboard Confessional. Um, there is a song he came out with in 2018 called Heartbeat Now that we almost did a music video for in the Redwoods. Um, and it you know, was one of those things where it got really big and it scaled up and it was a very cool idea and it just kind of got too big for what they were trying to do. Uh, we ended up not doing it. Um, but I listened to that song because I had shown it to a friend yesterday talking about the music video and then um, just kind of went down that down uh, that rabbit down hole. Down that rabbit hole this, this morning, yeah. So you grew up uh, where? I grew up in uh, the Finger Lakes. Um, Cohocton? Cohocton, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the Finger Lakes area in uh, in New York. Um, farm towns. There are more cows than people in our Little town. town. Very little town, yeah. I Googled it. Yes, it's yeah. Really- <laughs> yeah, less than 1,000 people, less than 1,000 people. Um, but uh, it was – it was a, a beautiful little town, and I loved growing up there. It was a great place to be. How would you describe the musical scene or background of your childhood there? Was there music happening at home? Were, were you guys – were you in any bands? Just paint a little picture of childhood and music. Yeah, I wasn't um, in a band per se. I, I loved I loved music, and I loved rock and roll, and I um, 
my family wasn't a huge, huge musical family. Um, I started playing guitar when I, I think I was 14. I started playing electric guitar because I thought that was cooler than acoustic and then played acoustic and, and learned uh, pretty early on that I was not musically gifted. Um, but some of my friends who were um, had bands and would play shows in the local towns. And um, it was just a great experience to see like what natural talent is at a young age. Um, and, you know, my mother would say, well, you're, honey, you're good at other things. But I, I love this <laughs> idea of, of um, rock and roll and, um, and uh, indie rock. And a, a lot of my friends, used to, we used to play that all the time. And uh, I remember the first time we were able to go into a bar was to play a show. You know, a bunch of 16-year-olds going in and playing an acoustic show in a bar. And uh, I would go and I would film uh, my friends playing. And um, How were they received? Uh you know, uh, <laughs> it's pretty – one of the, the biggest things going around was, you know, be different. You know, there's uh, there was a lot of rock and roll going on. There's a lot of indie rock. So everybody's trying to do something new and original, which uh, sometimes was interesting. So uh, <laughs> let's just say we did, they didn't always play at the same place twice, you know. So you're one of uh, four boys. One of four, yeah. Where are you in the lineup? I'm second. Yeah. Second. So second oldest. A close second. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, were you guys listening to the same kind of music? Did your older brother influence you? Did you influence your younger brothers? Was there anything um, like that going on? I think I definitely influenced my younger brothers. Um, so we we had a, our music choices at home were pretty conservative, um, and we had one of those wind up radios that could uh, tap into one of the local rock stations, and uh, me and my younger brother um, would stay up late listening to um, the local rock station, the Top Forty at the time, on a weather was, radio. <laughs> yeah, and we'd keep cranking it. Yeah, we'd keep cranking it uh, to keep the battery going. Uh, what, was, what was the first band that you identified with? The first band I identified with. Um, Reliant K hmm. and Switchfoot. Yeah, I didn't expect to hear Reliant. <laughs> I don't even know a Reliant. <laughs> but yeah. That's when you were born in the early 90s. Um, yeah, and then Switchfoot has always been yeah. one of my absolute favorites. Uh, John Foreman, I had the pleasure of working with him and, and doing a couple right of things on. with him. Isn't Switchfoot the, you know, we deserve to live for so much yep. more yeah. than yep. we lost ours? Okay, mm-hmm. cool, thank you. I wanted to make sure. And, I got to uh, play that on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, John Foreman, the lead singer and the uh, the writer, uh, he has gone on to be just a, such a pro- prolific um, writer. He's written for so many artists, and uh, he has his own thing going on. And I, he's just – I've always really loved his message and his music and his take on life and tragedy and all the things going on in the world. Um, you know, and he's been doing music for 20-something years, so I've been able to – he's still making music. He still plays, and I, I try to go to the shows every time I come in New York or when I'm in California. And um yeah, they, they. I really connected to them a lot when I was younger. It went by real fast for about about, about a minute ago. You said you were, you had somebody's music in one of your films, or what, what was that? No, I I was able to film them. Ah. Like, like when they came to New York, I'd sh- if he did private shows or little things, I'd go and I'd film, and it was an opportunity to get a free ticket at uh, one of John's shows and um, hang out with them backstage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Understood. What was your first camera? My first camera. My first camera was a tiny little Sony. Um, DV camera with those the mini tapes yeah and um, I'd make a movie I'd edit it 
and to not purchase more tapes, I'd wipe over the old ones. Were you editing it by sucking it into your computer analog style yep. and then not trying to drop frames and all that exactly. crap from yeah. those early <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was, it yep. a, was it a Sony Handycam? It wasn't a Handycam. Um, it was... It was like one of those half digital, half. Um, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my dad actually worked at. Uh, he worked as an engineer at Kodak in Rochester, um, so I was able to play around with some of the first digital cameras. Um, but I loved the the little uh, that little camera because I could just run around. I could throw it in my pocket. I'd bring it into concerts and. I'd bring it everywhere we went. We'd go hiking. We'd go camping. We were very outdoorsy. We lived in the middle of nowhere. So um, it was a lot of that. So but I documented everything. You still have all those tapes? I do have all those tapes in the Have box, you digitized yeah. them all properly now so they're, like, archived more effectively? No, I haven't. But I really <laughs> should do that. Yeah. That would have been a great pandemic project. That would have been a great – that's true. Yeah. Well, not all these uh, these new computers. There's no ports to plug in these the old Yeah, I know. <laughs> you got to find some little workarounds. Yeah, exactly. Um, what were your parents listening to? Were they musically inclined at all in terms uh, of, like, around the house was their music? Yeah. I mean, my mom loved country music. She loved Reba, and they listened to a lot of Christian music. We all listened to a lot of Christian music um, and a lot of country music. It was was mostly, but they were not huge into listening to to music all the time. There wasn't music going on all the time. It was it was more something I uh, would adapt, and I'd go in the car when a new rock CD would come on. I'd drive up on our hill where uh, I was like 300 yards from the house and I would blast it because my mom didn't love the new rock music coming out. Um, she didn't mind it, but uh, it was you a way to You were being polite. I was being polite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we had this big barn and we'd go and we'd bring um, an amp into the barn and plug a, you know, an MP3 player into it and just blast it. And Did they still live there? Is that like barn still there? Or? Fortunately, no. They ended up having to move um, and – uh, 2012, I think, uh, from the farm because New York got crazy with taxes and things like that. But uh, and we all were moving away, and it was you know they had all these animals and all this stuff going on, and didn't have farm hands anymore. Exactly, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. The, the, the free labor had moved off. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's get to your first song, and sure. I am so looking forward to listening to this. But uh, how would you like to handle it? I think we should listen to it. Okay, and then I'll tell. Um, well, you know what? I'm not even going to introduce it. Let's All just right. play it, Richard. Let's go do this. That was Benjamin Murray's first song on this episode of Three Song Stories. Uh, for the, the none of you who don't know this, that was the Indiana Jones theme song. But some of you might not know, it's called The Raiders March. That's the actual title. Man, I could see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you feel it in your chest, huh? Yeah, and I could see this. You know, like it would go into different movements. Yeah. And I would like, I would know which part of the film I was in, whether I knew it or not. Yeah. So what's what's the story? I mean, you know, so uh, I watched this when I think I had to be uh, 10 or 11 when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time. And the first time that song came on, I had goosebumps. And it was so exciting. And I watched this guy this bumbling guy in a hat try to be a hero trip over himself and just he's just such a hapless hero that's trying to make it work and um he's one of my favorite heroes just because he's 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 so goofy and not great at things most of the time um the story is on the farm we had a lot of tasks we had a lot of land uh and
And there was one uh, task we had to go into one of our, our fields where we uh, kept all the animals, the sheep and the, the cow and um, all of that. And we had to fix a hole in the fence. And, and one of the reasons we fixed the hole in the fence is um, there's coyotes, you know, and they if there's new calves and it's calving season or, or, or a lamb, they'll try to sneak in and, and, and take the lamb away or, or, or snag it when no one's paying attention. So um, our job was to uh, go fix this hole in the fence. And when we were in the barn and we we're grabbing tools. Uh, we found my mom's old bullwhip. And this thing was like crusty and old and um, it was kind of tucked away. And of course, <clears throat> we couldn't risk asking you know, permission to use it or not. So we just took it with us. And uh, this part of the woods where we would go, you know, we were pretty young, young boys. It was, it, was, it was dark and it was kind of far off. And we knew that's where the coyotes all hang out. So it was a little bit of like fear, like we were going off on our own to go fix this hole in the fence. And I remember when we were getting close to the spot, we were kind of cresting the hill and the sun was coming over and it was very cinematic. And this is maybe one of the first times where I recognized that I like to see things in a you know, cinematic way. And I just remember feeling that that song kind of come in, like the trumpets and the, and the, um, the crescendo. And I was like, wait a minute, this is an adventure, you know, the, the, the danger element of it or the fear element of it made it part of the adventure. And that kind of just dissipated. And uh, of course, the whole time we're trying to crack this bullwhip and we're accidentally hitting each other. And it wasn't very successful, but um, uh, we finally got to the spot and it was a really cool part of the woods. We found the piece of the fence, but then we got so caught up in being excited, exploring this new part of land that we just ran around the woods for two and a half hours pretending we were Indiana Jones. And I don't think we ever actually fixed the hole in the fence. <laughs> um, it was one of those things where it was an electric fence. We forgot to turn it off. So we, we ended up having, <laughs> having to go. Yeah. You know, you, I don't know if anybody's ever experienced electric fence before. You, you take a little piece of a grass and you like touch it. And if it zaps you, I'm like, well, we, we don't want to go all the way back and turn it off first. So – we might as well explore. So we were out there all afternoon, and eventually we went back and had to fix it properly. But um, I just remember that song playing in my head. And then every time I went on any adventure, anytime there was fear involved, from from being 10 years old to now, uh, to, to going to new countries or new places, um, every once in a while I'm like, maybe I'm not really prepared or, um, man, I don't really know what I'm getting into. Uh, sometimes that song comes on and it's just like, it's okay to – to roll down a hill, you know, you don't have to be graceful about it. You know, it's, it's okay to, to kind of stagger through the adventure at first before you find your feet. Um, Sometimes it's okay to just shoot the guy. instead of (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the smarter route is better than the, uh, the, doing it uh, gracefully. Um, do you listen to that song like that or do you just hear it in your head? I I don't think I've ever listened to that song on its own all the way through. So I probably listened to so John Williams, um, who is the uh, composer. Yes. We were going to say we need to give some props to John oh Williams. Oh, my gosh. If we, I knew we – I'd hoped we would. Yeah. I mean, John, he's an absolute legend. And I think – I mean, I've never met him. I don't know him. But – Yet. Yet. Sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, he's composed some of my favorite movies. Um, and there is such a, a sense of adventure in this calling, in this – um, triumph in his music. And, and even in that song, there's an entire story, right? It, it's very exciting. And, and then it goes into this moment of reflection and mystery. And then it comes back to being triumphant again. And uh, he just has a way of 
telling stories in his music. I mean, you know, I think it's so cinematic. It's so visual, right? We, we, we go directly to a visual place in our heads when we hear it. Um, so it's not that I like play it as a, a song um, when I'm on a plane or I'm, I'm going somewhere new. No, it just kind of like comes from inside your chest, you know, that mm-hmm. excitement. And you, you start to feel that music. Um, but yeah, and I do listen to a lot of music scores just being in film. Um, Would you um, – can you see yourself making a big Indiana Jones-style romping adventure movie someday? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's like that's, – you, that's, that's on, your, on your trajectory in your head. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that – like I love sharing the feeling of adventure with people. I think it's what I'm probably most passionate about is so many people are like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm like, put this song on. Put your boots on and, and get out the door, you know? So mm-hmm. Schindler's List, Home Alone, obviously Indiana Jones, uh, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Star Jaws, Wars, no, Star Wars, that. yeah, <laughs> E.T. Uh, you know, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. Superman, even you know, obviously the 1978 the, version. So. If the Superman theme doesn't make you feel like you can fly, then something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Memoirs of a Geisha too. That one I didn't know. Mm. And Hook. And Hook. I was just gonna say and Hook. And Hook. It was one of my uh, childhood favorite movies. Mine, mine too. Come on now. The act, acting in that uh. movie. The soundtrack, Rufio in general. <laughs> I want to eat that scene where they all get to eat the pretend mm-hmm. food. I want oh, that. Yeah. I've wanted that as a kid. I think it all is mostly just frosting. It looks like really, but I want that feast. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do tonight? I'm watching the end. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> and I'm gonna listen to it a little differently now because I have heard that. You know what I mean? Because I know. Because yeah. you know, obviously, at the beginning of the movie, they don't just play the whole song. Mm-hmm. But then there's different parts of the movie where those different parts come in. And yeah. I can't wait to reline that up in my head. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um. I mean. I wanted to play baseball was the big thing. What position were you? I was a pitcher. Oh. Yeah. And I was really small. So um, – That's why I went, oh. Yeah. So I was really small. <laughs> I mean, you know, with, with uh, three brothers, like we would play all the time and we, we got pretty good and um, made the most of our size. So I would learn – you know, I learned to throw a knuckleball when I was 12 years old mm. and um, the curveballs and all kinds of stuff and try to, being re- try to be really accurate instead of really fast. Um, and it, and it worked out pretty well. Um, it was fun. We we had a, a decent team in, in Little League and um, and in, in high school. I played on some teams. And, um, yeah, it was fun. It was awesome. Uh, I'd always loved filming and taking photos and things like that. But baseball was like – that was the thing that I could see the most clearly because it was what I would obsess about. Um, it's hard to imagine you're going to go and make film when you live on a farm in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but then in my senior year, I got injured in the first game of the season kind of a freak accident um ball hit my calf off a a line drive and it had like a blood clot and i was on crutches the whole summer and Mm. best thing that ever happened to me you know (laughs) it's uh one of those uh those moments where i I spent a lot of time at home and and was hanging out with some friends who weren't playing baseball and um and were was writing and, and and editing videos from past trips that i'd captured and uh that's when i wrote my first like little narrative Piece. I'm like, oh, we can make these characters say whatever we want, and uh, we can tell any kind of story we want. And uh, it was all based off of dreams because we were always like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And that's like, well, we all have dreams. Like, what would it what would it be like if someone had dreams that looked like something that was happening for someone else? Anyway, and we wrote kind of a narrative, and that was kind of the spark of like, oh, this is there's endless opportunities here. Right, you could write character that could do anything yeah you know and uh nobody's there to tell you what to make up yeah yeah <laughs> um sometimes they tell you what you can't do 
but <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I think that was kind of the birth of of that opened the door, right? Of oh, I could actually go into this direction, and this could be something that I do, and that caught on really fast. I think by the end of um, about halfway through my senior year, uh, I was fully head over heels like I'm going to do film on that. You know, uh, high school baseball has a certain you know, vibe to it where yeah. your baseball buddies like, dude, what's Ben doing, man? He's turned into an artist. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, I was already slightly, um, not an outcast. That's, that's not right. Uh, it was, you were an outlier. I was an outlier. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember my first, the tryouts for the, so it was, I was joined a traveling league, the town over, um, my senior year. And I was working on a dairy farm at the time and, Something happened at the farm. All the cows got out. Um, some, and I was, I was running late, and I couldn't go home. And I had my brother drive me to the game. And I literally showed up in uh, 12-inch muck boots and, like, disgusting overalls. And I just looked like a straight out of, you know, a typical <laughs> farm kid. And, uh, of course, I got lots of – and I was waiting for my mom to show up with the, the cleats. But she got lost and uh, on her way there. Anyway, so I, I had a pitch – do the pitching tryouts in in rubber boots and overalls, and it was uh, they were like, "Who the heck is this kid?" How'd you do? <laughs> yeah, you uh, great. Yeah, I started the first game pitching. So um, awesome. One of my fun little yeah. uh, baseball. I grew up playing baseball too, and you know when you're especially in the little league, you you have like you know two games a week, and so your mom's always having to wash your pants and everything. Yep. And and my mom one time like she hadn't washed my pants, and I was so embarrassed because my knees were all scuffed right. up. She said, "Just fall down when you get there." <laughs> <laughs> The van door opens and bam. Just as soon as you get out, just slide. That's great. (laughs) Uh, Hey, that's a really – that's a good tactic right there. That's my mom in a nutshell. (laughs) Oh, man. So how did you take that that time off and that inspiration and how did you, you know, actuate it to get to where you are here? Um, You know – I think for every everyone it, it, who really knows what they want to do or even find success later in life, oftentimes there's a moment that you can look back to that you're like, that moment affirmed, oh, I should be doing this. And for me, it was I, I edited my buddy, my cousin and my brother went camping. It was like this adventure camping trip. And we hiked all these miles on our own. And it was a lot of fun. And I filmed the whole thing and then I cut it to music and we did some slow motion and some silly things, you know. And I filmed it, um, or, or I showed it uh, at a family gathering at a holiday. And I remember my aunt, um, who's not a film buff, you know, is not a, a creative in the family by any means. Um, she came up to me afterwards and was like, "Hey, that was really good. That was you. Like, you did an, an amazing job." And it wasn't someone just. T- everybody said we did it. Every single family member came up and said, "Hey, that was really good." But it was this recognition of there's something about this that is special. And I look at that video now, it's terrible. You know? <laughs> but, but there's some timing things and some things. I'm like, oh, that was a cool idea or that was kind of clever. I could see. But someone subconsciously recognizing that in someone else and then calling it out, that's like the most powerful thing we can do to someone else. Uh, and, and that's why I always say like never placate. Never tell somebody something is good when it's not. Um, not that you have to tell them it's bad, but when you do recognize something good, it's so important to share that because I, that stuck with me. I'm like, oh, wow. And then later in life, some, uh, another thing, someone else came up to me who, you know, uh, quote unquote, unqualified 
person. They're not a critic by any means. They saw another video. I was like, hey, I used to make these. um, My brother was into Bible quizzing. And he was this world champion Bible quizzer. And I would go and I'd film the tournaments. And I'd add it to rock music that I was listening to at the time. You know, I'd try to make it really cool. And it was cool and entertaining. Like Five Iron Frenzy? Uh, Yeah, or like Thousand Foot Crush. Thousand Foot Crush. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And and Skillet or whatever I was listening to at the time. uh, Or whatever was appropriate for a uh, Bible quizzing video. Um, and uh, anyway, and I would show this. We'd show it in auditoriums and stuff. And people would come up after and be like, hey, this is like, this is really good. You're really good at this. And, you know, some people, it really stuck. And I was like, man, maybe, maybe I am really good at this. I love doing it. Um, and then, I don't know, I, there's just kind of, it kind of lit a fire and that fire just kept getting fueled. I had so many incredible people around me and my parents included that are like, hey, yeah, you're a creative. You're, you're, keep, trying to do this and um when that fire has a space to just grow and grow and grow you know you feel like nothing can stop you so you just kind of want to die right in uh your bio said that you spent a year doing search and rescue training before you then went on to pursue did you did you go to film school i did uh, yes so i but flesh out the little search and rescue part a little yeah bit. so i mean i um it, it, as supportive as my parents were there is definitely a, p- a point where you want to pause and say, okay, you're about to move to New York City and dive into doing film, which is, a, I mean, a scary thing for, you know, it's like, can you make money doing that? Is it, you know. Um, especially New York City money. Especially New York City. Yeah, I know. It's a, it, and it was, you know, I, I had saved and my parents helped. It was a big a big deal to try to, to you know, to, to pay for it and to go and to just live there. Um, so she challenged me and said, is there anything you want to do before you get into that? Like, is there anything you would want to do? You want to take a year off and just do something completely different? Like, what if what if you actually love doing something else? Like, do you want? Uh, just consider it. Consider it. And I, and I took a year off mainly to make money and to to save up for New York um, after high school. And I was home a lot and I was working on a movie. And she's like, "Well, you, why don't you go to this basic training uh, thing?" And she. Didn't really describe what it was, and I did not look it up. And she's like, "Oh, it's like just you know, you'll you'll get in amazing shape, good discipline." And um, I had no idea it would be this extremely intensive boot camp. Um, so I ended up going, and I was there for um, was there for twenty weeks, and then I, I went back for a second phase of training. And I did search and rescue in, in uh, at the International Alert Academy, the Airland Emergency Resource Team in Texas. And there was I had incredible leaders, and I'm so glad I did it. Like I. The discipline I learned, and the you know they work out a lot of things. In, you know, you're How many times years did old. you hum the Indiana Jones? Oh thing? man, a lot. Yeah, no, there was a lot of like we needed a lot of inspiration. And I, all I did was talk about <laughs> movies when we, with the other uh, the recruits, and then um, when we ranked up, you know, we would talk about film, and um, it was an incredible experience. And we went on some deployments. I got to see parts of the you know the world and, and, and do certain things I probably would have never done if I had just gone straight to New York. And it was a very um, I grew up fast in that year, you know. Uh, it was a, you know, when you're given tremendous amounts of responsibility in tense situations. Um, it was absolutely invaluable, and I'm so glad I did it. And I almost tell everyone, hey, the year after high school, when you're still trying to figure it out, especially if you don't know exactly what you want to do, um, go do something that you might never do. Uh, do something really hard, and that'll make everything else so rewarding. So then when I moved to New York, I felt like I was very serious about it because I – Doing other things that I loved. I really loved doing the search and rescue, but it just affirmed even more that I'm like, no, I 
all I could think about the whole time is how cinematic it was or how <laughs> to film it or this is a cool even, – even kind of in a sick way where like you'd be going to like a wildfire and you're trying to like save somebody's houses and you're like, wow, this would be a crazy scene in a movie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, and, I, and that's my whole life. It's a, cur- it's a gift and a curse. But all the time, like any situation is sad or intense or, you know, a breakup or something, you're like, you know, we're actually sitting There's in a perfect some real spot meat here. This. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. It's been it's terrible. Um, it's terrible, but that's just the way my brain works. Unfortunately, we, we do a very similar thing, though. I think with audio, I do it with video too because I I do a lot of digital content, so I see things in terms of oh, that could be this sound bite is amazing, or that the way this sounds is fantastic for this thing. Uh, I used to want to do music videos when I was younger. I would listen to music and I I could visualize what I thought, even if it was just some really elaborate concept I could imagine what the music video would be for things so I would yeah I totally get that hmm well we'll get to your New York City landing but let's get to your second song story first okay let's do it um do I want to tell a song or do I want to uh I think I should tell the story first okay yeah I think I should tell the story first and then and then the song will have its impact uh so growing up uh, so being born in the early 90s and then growing up you know, early 2000s was a lot of like the the, the punk rock and indie rock scene. And uh, it was right when MP3 players were coming out and we were switching from CDs and we were sharing MP3s. And then there was that whole thing of like they're cracking down on people sharing uh, or, or illegally downloading MP3. So we're like, all right, well, we have to buy some, at least buy a couple. It was what we'd say. We'd buy a couple and then we'd share them all around. And uh, the first MP3 I ever bought was um, this song by uh, Jimmy Eat World called The Middle. And yeah, I, I could feel and, uh, this time. Yeah, yeah. And I downloaded it. And then oh. I think it was the only one that I actually had purchased because then everything else was shared and moved around and all that kind of stuff. But every time I'd buy a new device, uh, a, a phone later on, and um, my, my iTunes would always just have the one purchase song in it. You know, the one downloaded song. The token song. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there was one time I was on this movie in New Mexico um, and we were shooting way out in an Indian reservation in the desert. And um, it was my job. I was working in production at the time. And uh, it was a period piece. And we had this old, beautiful Ford Mustang, this cherry red Ford Mustang convertible. Uh, 19, I think it was in 1968. And um, when we were talking to the props guy when he was dropping it off, I, I just went up to him and I was chatting with him about the car. And he said, you need to be the only one that moves it around. I'm very precious about it. And I'm like, oh, I'm not – which aren't really my, my job. I actually have a lot of – he's like, but just when you're going from location, can you be the one that drives it? And, of course, everybody wanted to ride in it too. It was beautiful. And we're in New Mexico and it was – the weather was incredible. Very we're, cinematic. You're painting a picture Oh, yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll show you a photo after I have this. So um, we were doing a daytime shoot in the desert and then we had to go to another part of uh, the desert to do a nighttime shoot. And I had to move the car. So all, I was usually the last one to leave uh, set. Um, so everybody drives off. I get in the car and I probably make it a hundred yards before I hit a pothole and the wheel comes flying oh, off the car. No. And, um, and I'm sitting there, there's two, uh, there's two other guys in the car and we're just sitting there. There's no cell service at all. And we're, we're kind of stuck. And, um, we knew that there was going to be a shuttle that had to come back at some point when they didn't know. So like, all right, we're just going to have to wait. And it was kind of getting dusk. And some of the local farmers in the fields above us were all like lighting these bushes on fire, 
We didn't know what it was. We just saw these little fires popping up. And they were like wild horses. It was unbelievably cinematic. That would have been a great time for the Indiana Jones theme. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only song any of us had was I had the one song. Because you had no signal. We had no signal. We had no service. <laughs> I'm like, well, I wish we could play music. And I was like, well, I have this wow. one downloaded song on my phone. And it was And I've middle. had it for years. And I've had it for years. <laughs> I don't think I'd listened to it in a really Man, long I'm, time. I'm, I'm seeing the signals of Gondor scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> world <laughs> yeah it was i mean it was pretty it was unbelievable and the stars are coming out super early it was incredible so this maybe wasn't the perfect song for the setting but all the other guys in the car were all um around my age and we knew every word and we jammed out to this song i think 20 times and it was a situation that could have been bad we were late and it's a movie there's a lot of pressure on us the car is damaged all these things uh but we listened to the song and we just were we were just vibing and we were having a great time it's just making the most of a crazy situation so singing oh yeah uh, standing up in the convertible and oh yeah i mean i think uh, at some point a farmer on the hill must have looked down and been like what in the world's going on down there <laughs> but Ah, I could really picture that. Let's listen to this then and imagine that. This is The Middle by Jimmy Eat World from their 2001 album Bleed American. When was the last time you listened to that? Oh, on the way here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, every time you hear that, you must think of that. that oh, that yeah. Time. It was just an absolute blast. And it was one of those 360s where we were just having the best time. Our moods were really high in a bad situation. And then, of course, production comes and they're sweating it's scared like we're we're late we're gonna lose the scene we got to get this wheel on the car and we were just like what is wrong with you guys and we were just having the greatest time you know that's you got a short film right there you know you start with like however old you were when you buy the thing and then you know you cut through to the different times in your life when you see it but don't play it and then suddenly you got the cherry red mustang and you know what i mean oh yeah that's great That's great. I must have listened to a hundred times that trip. Shout out to uh, past guest and my best friend Kim Hudson for episode eighty-two. Uh, the middle was one of her song stories as well. We had uh, very quickly uh, a synopsis of this. We had a ritual with friends called Ham Party, uh, where around Thanksgiving time they where they worked they would get gift cards to Honey Bake Ham, and we would have a ham party. We'd all bring sides. We would have like a friends giving, but we called it Ham Party, and Kim's daughter would come to this. She's much younger, obviously, than than we are. I think at the time, maybe she was 12, 11, 10, somewhere in there. And we played music and this song came on. And all of us, for some reason, started serenading and singing this at her, though, and like pointing at her and all dancing at her. And she's dancing. And we're all just like, you know, trying to give her this message. It just takes time, little little girl. You're in the middle of the ride. Everything's going to be all right. And we all are here to support you. So shout out to my best friend and her daughter. You know, um, I'm so old. I remember when they invented the MP3 codec. Like there was a thing where suddenly it was early days of the internet. Fraunhofer, you could it was a DOS-based thing where you could aim it at a wave file and it would take like a half an hour, and it was like the new world was here. That's incredible. <laughs> and, and here we are. And here we are. And here we are. Okay, so when you got to New York City, um, what was your first gig? Like, what was you know? Were you able to go there and immediately have something in the film world, or did you have to go there and you know take a job of some kind? Kind of, yeah. So I I went to the New York Film Academy, which was kind of a trade school for film. Um, and, I, and I didn't love it. I think I came in like really serious, having just done like basic training and all this stuff. I was really ready to go. And a lot of people were there, like, "Hey, we're in New York City. This is amazing. We get to just do film." Um, so I would try to do as much out of school as I could. And I actually got a job, um, working on a feature 
as a production assistant in my first, uh, it's like my first three months in New York. And uh, I saw a friend of a friend who was like, hey, are you doing school this week? I can't be on this movie. And it was a tiny little indie movie. Um, and I was like, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll do it. And uh, I, I made quite the impression on my first day. It was one of those things that's quite a bit of luck, quite a bit of just being very eager and, and uh, failing well, you know, making a lot of good mistakes. Indie and, style. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I remember walking on a set and hearing the – I was supposed to introduce myself to the producer and the director and they were arguing about losing a location and they were really stressed. And I had just done a, um, a student film in a, a restaurant um, the night before. And they were looking for a restaurant, and I was like, "Well, I was like, hey, hi, how's it going? My name, my name's Ben Murray. I'm, I'm the new production assistant. I heard you're looking for a restaurant. I'm, I actually got one, uh, and I have insurance still for it. And I could just call the school and bring a bunch of extras for you because they had lost everybody. You solved all their problems. And in we one went, sentence. and we, and you know, three and a half hours later, we were shooting at this restaurant. And the producer comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, you want a job? He's like, I'm going to fire my second second AD. Do you want to be the second second AD? And I said, absolutely. And then I went home and Googled what a second second AD was. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, I, and I was on this movie for 14 days. I missed all the school. And I finally got a call from my teacher. And he's like, hey, Ben, you know, um, you're missing some really important classes. And he's like, next week is, uh, is how to get a job after film school uh, session. And I was like, well, when I'm done with this movie, I'll come back and I'll catch up on all this stuff. And uh, towards the end of the movie, the producer – said, hey, I'm doing this show after this. Do you want to work on it? And I just I, I just was like, absolutely. Well, I'm, I was learning so much more on set than I was at film school. So I, I still went back to the school and, and got their equipment and shot my projects that I needed to do to, to finish the program. But I missed almost all the classes for, for the next semester. But you were doing what you were going to film school to do. Exactly. And every ca- uh, class I would catch, I would just be like, this is not what it's really like. It wasn't. It was. Hmm. It, it was the idea of how to make a movie instead of like how to actually do it. Um, and it was the whole like work, work smarter, not harder thing. And they're talking to you know, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year olds. I'm like, what do you mean work smarter, not harder? These guys aren't. We don't. We're not. We're not movie smart yet. We're not production smart. We got to work smart and hard. You know, like we got to just go out there and do it and do it and do it and do it. And and that was the mentality that I got from these indie movies that I was working on, the passion and the energy and the 18-hour long days and all this stuff, the craziness, working with diva actors. And uh, it was just such an incredible experience. So, um, yeah, I, I, I started working with him and then uh, I went back to the school and I shot everybody's final film as a DP just to have that kind of experience while I was getting production experience. And uh, I basically just put my head down and did that for the next 10 years. Like I never looked back. Is that DP role your sweet spot or where? what is your sweet spot at this point yeah, in your career? That's the, that's the bread and butter. I would say uh, I have a production company, um, which I started a production company to help the shoots that I was shooting run more efficiently because I'd be shooting something and there'd be lopsided productions. The food was terrible, but they had this amazing equipment and all. I'm like, guys, you got to feed, you know, we got to balance things. Nobody knew where to go to the bathroom, but you're using a hundred thousand dollar lens. It was things like that. I'm like, this isn't, <laughs> something's not right here. Anyway. So, nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, we started a production company to, to, you know, make it fun to do it because sometimes people get burned out on movies and um, our whole philosophy is if you have fun making movies people are going to have fun watching them right so I've been shooting for other people for years and years um, and just recently we've just decided that 
we've got, you know, over a decade of experience now and it's time to do a lot of our own things. And we have stories we've been writing and writing. And every time I bring them up to people, people are like, this is really funny or this is really fun or that's it. You should write something about that. So uh, we started sharing some scripts around and they gained traction. And um, now we're looking at this year to start um, doing a bunch of features. And uh, now we have all this wacky experience to, to do it. Which actor or actress was the biggest diva? that you've worked with. Uh, um, we can believe it. No, no, no. You, you see, here's the thing. is like, it's not really a secret. So, uh, there's like, you can just Google like who the oh, biggest wait, is. Oh, wait, wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the mics off and then you're going to say a name to Mike. <laughs> Ready? Yep. Go. Oh, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> he is. So a lot of the tropes that come from diva actors are all based off of him. I just like that we got the reaction of Mike on Mike after the, oh, okay. <laughs> and later, I hope that you tell us. So he, yeah, it's, it's a, the guy that played R2-D2. No, yeah, no. <laughs> I did hear that, actually. Um, but it was, I mean, it was classic stuff like, hey, does anyone need anything? No, no, no. We're, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. Hey, does anyone, no, nobody needs anything. Actually, you know what? I would love an apple pie with diced tomatoes on top, like green <laughs> dice. And look at me, look at me, look at me. They have to be this big, and he'd hold his fingers a certain. He's like, right, "Do you see this? If they're bigger than this, I'll choke." And then you send a production assistant just out about you know Long Island looking for an apple pie. At, you know, but is that real? There. Is that real? Does it, that really happen? No, that was a oh, story. Yeah. No, 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 I know that, but I want to yeah. know: is that really a thing that happens that often? Yes. Did you hear that? And, and it I, was. I, it was the thing he had to have a specific green iced tea from Starbucks, but from the store. So what we would do is we'd actually just buy gallons of iced tea and pour it into a Starbucks cup. <laughs> and he didn't know the difference, but it was these things. And it was what it, what it is is they want it. They're doing indie movies. Their family members are much much bigger than they are, and they started first. So there's this little bit of like I need Trying to, to get feel what important. they can get. Yeah, yeah, and it's this need to feel important all the time. Um, and it, it's just hard to work. It's just hard to work. We didn't, we never really got along. Actually, it was. <laughs> we don't need to go too far into yeah, this, but I want to know um, <laughs> real quick. Patrick Stewart. What was your experience with Patrick Stewart? I'm a fan of such... his for you know for so for sure. Sir oh, Patrick. Stewart. So uh, do I have time to tell a little story? <laughs> of, of course. Yes. So this That's is... why we're here, Ben. So this, right. So this is it's one of my favorite set stories. So um, I, I had this pretty senior producer that was a really good friend of mine. Um, and he was producing this film, uh, and I didn't know who was in it. He he called me. He's like, "Hey, I'm I'm not feeling well." I no no. It was it was his mom that was sick, and he had to leave set. And he's like, "Can you come take over?" And he's a first assistant director, so he's running the set. So he's producing and running the set. And I had some experience. I trained under him for years. So um, it, we were sh- they were shooting in uh, Westchester, up in New York, at this massive mansion. And I get there, and he is leaving. He's like, Hey, um, we're shooting the big wedding scene today, blah, blah, blah. Like everybody's in it. Um, good luck. And like hands me a call. And I just have names of characters and it's such a mess. And I rolled right onto this thing. And, uh, he said, just go introduce yourself to all the actors. You, you know, everybody knows who you are and they know what's going on. So I'm walking through this uh, greenhouse at this mansion and there's this fellow reading a newspaper and he puts the newspaper down. He goes, excuse me. And it was Patrick Stewart. And I was like, oh, wow. Hey. And he's like, he's like, hey, do you know like when we're starting? I'm like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm Ben Murray. I'm the new uh, first AD for the day. And um, he, he, uh, he said, oh, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's good to meet you. Yeah, I heard, I heard uh, you know, your partner was, was heading out. Here's the thing. Um, I know it's going to be a long day and I just, you know, I'm getting older and I wonder if you could shoot my scenes first. And I was like, sure, 
I don't see why not. So then I look at uh, look at the call sheet, and to be honest, I can't remember all the characters' names. But I look at the call sheet, and I got to go talk to the actress who's in the scene. And I go and I knock on the door, and the door opens, and it's Glenn Close. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh! She's like, Excuse me, I, who are you? And I was like, Oh, hi, I'm Ben Murray. I'm taking over. Blah blah. blah. And she goes, Okay, great. Hey, here's the thing. I know it's going to be a long day today. Um, I just have one favor to ask. Could you just shoot out my scenes first? And I'm like, Oh man. Uh, well. Crap, Patrick Stewart asked me if I could shoot his stuff out first. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, I'll see what I can do. So then I go to the executive producer who was the lead actor, and it was John Malkovich. <laughs> and, uh, and, and John goes, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> I wish you guys had seen him do uh, <laughs> I can see it. I know it's going to be a long day. Um, I have so much to do to prep for tomorrow. I need you to shoot my scenes out first. And I'm panicking. I'm like, I'm either going to upset – Patrick Stewart, Glenn Close, or John Malkovich. <laughs> so I call my producer. I'm like, what do I do? He goes, uh, this is a daily event. He goes, Glenn – he's like, the, the boys are gentlemen. Glenn gets her scene shot first and then do Patrick's and then and then do John's. And I was like, cool. <laughs> awesome. And, of course, they're you know looking at me. I'm like, oh, man. Um, yeah, it was – in. Uh, in my sorry, in my head, that's a that's just uh, hazing. That's oh just yeah, hazing. it might like, it might have been to make the it new. Might have been. They were all yeah. in on it. <laughs> you know when you ask your dad something, he's like, "No." So you go to ask your mom. It's like one of those things where they've been they know the order of it already. Look through the glass. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. The wild wedding. That's exactly it. There's another story from that that's really amazing, but I probably I probably can't tell it and on a thing. But I'll tell you guys after. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was pretty amazing. But anyway, the, my my best moment was. We're doing this car shot. And the camera's mounted at the front of the car, and I'm in the back seat with a radio, and like cueing uh, Patrick. And um, he looks in the rearview mirror, and he looks at me, and he says, "In this sucks. I actually forget the name. What is the name of his ship in Star Trek? The, the USS Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so he looks in. He goes, "Have you ever ridden in the USS Enterprise?" And I was like, "No." He goes. Well, here we go. And he pulls away. And I was like, oh, yeah. this is the coolest moment of my life. <laughs> my jaw is just dropping. Oh. Like, oh, we, we should, we should, uh, you should have said, make it so. Make it so. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was awesome. He was a straight professional and just one of the coolest dudes. That's great. I'm glad I brought it up. Um, how many film festivals would you guess you've attended? Okay. So physically attended or had movies in? Uh, well, both one and the other. Um, had movies in over a hundred, um, attended maybe thirty or forty, something like that. Yeah. Peak festival experience. Ooh, peak festival experience. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go um, to con. Uh, we had a filming con. I wasn't able to go to that, but that was like the biggest achievement in terms of having a film there. Um, man, best festival experience. It's funny because sometimes the festival experiences. The, it was a show. It was an absolute disaster. But your experience with the people and the people you got to meet was so amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, I did this one in Las Vegas, and uh, it was an absolute disaster, the festival was. It was run poorly? It was run poorly, and the screening times were all messed up. It was just an, it was an absolute disaster. Um, no one got to the right shows, and like the award ceremonies were all screwed up. And we were supposed to present and talk and speak about our film, uh, which was nominated for a bunch of things. But that experience and that adventure on that was just absolutely incredible. And we bonded with the um, the crew, which we – you know, when you're working professionally with people, it's – you do bond and it is a great experience. But then going and doing that was such an – you know, it was like we got to do this again. And funny enough, um, the writer uh, – 
producer of that movie is the writer producer of the movie I'm doing in Florida. So it was because of that experience. Huh. That now I'm um, doing this movie here in Florida this week. So um, yeah, yeah, the Las Vegas Film Festival is uh, as terrible as as it was run. It was probably one of the best experiences, and we still got to see a lot of people's movies and chat with them and. Um, yeah, it was great. Like I mentioned, I, uh, I'm the guy in the booth at the Fort Myers Film Festival, right. and so I get to watch all that play out. And I've seen, you know, there are people who've met and bonded, and over the years, I kind of stay in the shadows because that's where I'm most comfortable. But um, it's a fun scene. It's it a really a fun, fun scene. scene. Um, concerts. You yeah. big concert goer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not in the last couple of years. Sure. But, um, but... And, and less so when I've been working in film. I've just been so busy. But a couple of years ago, I said, you know what, like – I gotta, I gotta make it happen, you know. Next time, and I would say New York is an, is an amazing city. I go to tons of small shows. I just know tons of musicians, and we go to their shows all the time. Uh, so that's that's a big thing. But yeah, every once in a while, I try to go to a, a big show. Peak concert experience that you can uh, recall. Peak concert experience. Um, probably I don't know, seven years ago. It was it was when Switchfoot came into New York City, and um, I was interviewing them or something afterwards. But we got great tickets, and it was just a fantastic show and they just were having it was the last show of their tour and they were just having an absolute blast and I think we were there an hour extra and they came uh, they shut everything down and then they came out with acoustic guitars and just sat with maybe the hundred people that were left and played songs and um, people were throwing out music to John and, and he would um, just play whatever and it was just awesome it just was awesome so that had to be the best one uh, dream act to see live whether it be somebody who's still around or not like if there was a oh, perfect man. concert experience that you wish you could attend oh man I don't, I don't know if I know something off the top of my head I feel like I have an answer that should jump out um, it'll come back to it okay no worries yeah. uh, biggest act you've seen in a small venue biggest act I've seen in a small venue yeah um, wh- oh yeah. It, uh, when I was, I was, uh, helping set up South by Southwest once and, um, there was like, they do, uh, like secret shows, like secret concerts and they don't tell anybody who it is. You just show up and there's only like maybe a hundred people in the room and it's a really tiny and Prince was playing. What? It's like... <laughs> So what I'm hearing is that you should make like a like a Forrest Gump type movie about all of the things that you keep. <laughs> Benjamin Murray Benjamin becomes Murray. the new Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that must have been it wasn't real. indescribable. It wasn't real. Yeah, no. Yeah. And we were working it, so we weren't in the crowd. Like we were, um, like in the wings or behind. Was it but, just him? Um, no, there was a there was an accompaniment, but okay. it was a. You know, I don't even remember what the venue was, but it wasn't a real – like, I, I don't know if anybody's attended South by Southwest, but they just take over the whole city right. in Austin. And uh, they just turn every restaurant, everything into a venue. And uh, it was it was a restaurant that wasn't accustomed to, like, live music. So it didn't – you know, it didn't sound probably what right. the standard should be, but this just the intimacy yeah. was, was incredible. It was hmm. so cool. Um, okay, it's time for your last song. All right. Um, I'm going to tell a story first, and then we'll listen to it. This is a uh, song by John Foreman, um, and I. This is summer 2020. I was coming back from, not to be too on a, a downer note to start this, but um, I was coming back from the second funeral in like a couple weeks. 
for my my grandmother. Um, my grandfather had passed away a few weeks before, and then my grandmother. And uh, they are from Buffalo and living in Buffalo, so I would drive from New York City, which is about a six-and-a-half-hour drive. And um, on the way back, this song came on, and um, it was an incredible moment of reflection, you know, the the idea of um, living to the fullest and knowing we're going to die and, and, and then making the choice of how we want to live. And my, my, my grandparents were just two incredible people. They influenced so, so many people in totally different ways. And I think I learned so much about them at their funerals because, you know, when it's your grandparent, you know, you're, you're, they're your grandparent and that's how you see them and that's how you spend time with them. But then when you're at your funeral and everyone's talking about their whole lives and you're seeing all these people that they impact in such unique ways. And one of the things my grandmother would always say is just like they both had cancer um, for years and years. And, you know, they knew that catches up eventually. And um, every time we saw them, they were just incredible spirits and they would share stories and share stories, even if it was stories we heard. And they would always say, "Just, just make someone smile today, you know. Do something that makes you laugh over and over, no matter what kind of pain you're in, no matter what the situation was, because you know that death is coming someday. And I think it obviously is more apparent when you're older or when you have an illness like that. But this song is just a really good reminder um, of that. And it really it really let me reflect on their lives and their impact on people. Um, I listened to it over and over on that drive home and it and it. It was great. Yeah, it really made me think about our impact on people every day. Was it a song you already knew, or is it a song you still like? I already knew. Yeah, it was. You know, it was, I, like a huge fan of John Foreman. I listened to all of his stuff all the time. It was one of those songs you play through. It wasn't something you ought go go right to all the way. You know, it was like I'll, I'll listen to one of his albums, and then this came on, and it, and it just had a completely new meaning for me after that. Well, let's listen to it. Um, this is Terminal by John Foreman from his 2017 album The Wonderlands. It's Ben Murray's final song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. Where were you at during that song? In the car, driving back from Buffalo. Um, somewhere in between the, <laughs> on uh, I-90, uh, going back to New York City. What were your grandparents' names? Uh, is Joe and Joan Murray. Joe and Joan Murray. Yeah. Mm. You said they affected people in different ways. Can you real quickly distinguish, like, Absolutely. that must have meant there were there was a bifurcation in their beings. So, uh, yeah, I mean, both of them were incredible storytellers, firstly, and they both had an incredible sense of humor. Um, my grandfather was um, very, he was a principal uh, at a, um, uh, originally was an all-black high school in Buffalo called Clinton High. And he spent most of his career um, fighting in the courts to desegregate schools in Buffalo. And it was such – it ended up being such a successful model that everyone started to adopt his um, and his team's model for desegregating schools. So he was always off. We had kids all the time and they had um, – uh, Joe and Joan Murray had six kids of their own. So their house was so filled with um, – politicians and uh, board members and, and kids and kids and kids and kids and kids. And, and you know, as my grandfather impacted um, the lives of so many in, in the school district and all that, my grandmother was um, a mom to so, 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 so many. 
and uh, a light to so many. And um, they both volunteered all the time for different things. And it's just so interesting to see in you know kind of more of a public eye how my grandfather um, and, the, and the accolades that came with that and um, how he impacted so many people and cha- did so much for, for Buffalo and, and the United States as a whole. And then you know, turning around to my grandmother and seeing all of the lives that she impacted in an intimate way um, and her joy and her, her energy and how infectious that was to everyone, you know. Um, so it's just such – it doesn't matter what you do, you know. You might be in the public. You might be a storyteller. You might be a musician. It's your everyday interactions that can just spread and truly change people and influence people. Cheers to that, absolutely, and to them. Um, okay, we're going to head in for a landing here, right. so I'm going to speed round you. Let's do it. This is a question that some people are like, eh, but I think you might have an answer. Favorite movie soundtrack? Oh, favorite movie soundtrack. So it's um, John Williams, again, uh, and Hook. Hook. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, right. I mean, that's just, if I had to put my childhood in yeah. into a soundtrack, it would be the soundtrack from Hook. Yeah. Do you have a nickname that's stuck over the course of your life? No, actually, no. Do you do karaoke? I don't. I love participating. I love watching other people go all out because they, you know, they can really feel themselves and they let their voices shine. I'm not participating means doing it. You love watching. I love. Yeah, I sit in the room (laughs) and I slowly get up and rotate so it's not my turn next. Do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you would sing with us? Oh man, TV theme songs. Um, I think. I could whistle the Andy Griffith show. Okay. Pull it up. Yeah, no, we yeah. can do that. <clears throat> this is not unprecedented. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Tara's our whistler. I have to say, I am a songbird by trade. So. <laughs> Tara's we'll, our whistler. We'll see how you compete with this. I'm, oh, man. I'm a mediocre wh- whistler. <laughs> Mike didn't know I was a good I, I whistler until, until last week last or week. whatever it was. Oh, wow. Two weeks I think I'm probably a mediocre I'm like, else... Tara, do you have a whistle app on well, your phone refused, in there? <laughs> they refused to do the TV theme song, so Mike offered up the Andy Griffith you could whistle. And he even said no to that. So I did it. I was like, maybe he will join me. No, he did not. Oh, no. <laughs> so is this going to be, uh, you want to whistle it a cappella? No, I want to have something to, okay. to whistle right, yeah, to Stand so we can all, all right, be on the right key. We all can't be Tara Callaghan. <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched all of these during the pandemic. That's all, all the Andy Griffiths? Oh, yeah. I had it going in the wow, background the whole time. That's cool. Yeah, every morning. Do you have a favorite episode? I went and rewatched Bash. Oh, yeah. What's your favorite episode? Uh, We're waiting for an ad, so we've talked. Oh, no, no. Yeah, my favorite episode is when um, Barney is buying a car, and he buys it from someone who's who's ripping him off. Yep. He, he, yeah, and it's falling apart as he's driving it. As he's it's driving so it away, great. yeah. It's so great. All right, you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, we could keep going. It's up to you. <laughs> I can't get up that high. <laughs> and then, I don't know what that long. Oh. No, I just wanted to go to the part where he t- the only lyrics in the song. Oh, Can we get to just that answer. part? Yeah. I didn't Come even on. know there were lyrics. Yeah, here it is. So we're, ready oh, for the, we're ready for the the Andy the Griffith. Andy, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, right. Yeah. Starring Andy Griffith. That's what. That's all it is. Oh, yeah. well done, whistle team. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter on? 
uh, throw up your rock fist by Thousand Foot Crunch. What would yes, your wrestler yes. name be? What oh, my wrestling name? Um, oh, Big Ben. <laughs> yeah, big, and I, yeah, I don't know if I could go with big, uh, <laughs> but this is a world where I'm a wrestler, so yeah, we could do that. <laughs> what, would, what would your? Um, I like to ask people. So, what would the intro be? There's pyro. Is there pyrotechnics? What are you, are you wearing? Like a singlet? Are you doing the brief? Are you? What are you up to? What's your? Oh, what's your? What's your outfit? Black and gold. There you go. Like gold yeah. dust style. Well, no, like a fl- like a gold flame on a black. Ooh, like oh, trunks. Trunk style. Uh yeah, I could do trunks. Okay, what black. about pyrotechnics? Fire? Absolutely. What's up? Absolutely, hundred percent. But colored fire, you know. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Can't what color? Do, oh, like blue and green. Yeah, yeah. blue and green yeah. with the this gold and black. Yeah, I Cinemac- just, yeah right. Here. Big Ben. Yeah. It's right. <laughs> I, dig, I dig that a lot. That's I dig right. that. Um, if you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what it would it be? Oh man, um, bourbon, and it would be like a spicy, smoky bourbon. Yeah, and it would be called, shoot, I don't know what it would be called, um, Campfire Stories or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time? Oh, man. Oh, that That is a great question. That's, that's a, a Richard that's Chinqui a question. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, what about that first song of yours? Yeah, that, I mean, there's definitely set, set scores when you hear it. You're like, oh, my gosh, that... That's that's amazing. Yeah, I could, that, that is it. That is a good option. I'm kind of sticking on this one. Okay, we'll stick with that one. Um, is there any kind of music or a particular song that you'll avoid listening to? Kind of music. Um, it, as cliche as, as it is, like a lot of the modern, well, I don't even know what the genre is called anymore, like the pop, the Electronic. I don't know. It's kids music. I don't know. EDM. I, I, I mean EDM. I don't, I don't even know. It's just like pop. Just pop. You I guess pop. pop. I guess yeah. pop covers everything. Modern right? pop. Yeah. Modern pop. I I struggle with modern pop. Yeah. Um, T Swift pop. No, no. I think T. I think she's an outlier. I think she's, okay. I think she's very talented. But blank space is good with you. Yeah. All right. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I can't. I'm not huge on the top forty now. Whereas, man, like turning on and cranking that old radio and hearing the top 40 and hearing, oh, man, it was just, every song was incredible. It was, I mean, that was my time, so I guess everybody says that. <laughs> but If you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which song would it be? Man. Um... There's this song by this band called For King and Country um, that I think is just so inspirational. It's called Live Free. Is it? What is it? Oh, my gosh. I'm blanking. I'm, it's three things. I could look it up. But um, I remember when I'm on a road trip and I, like, play that song, everyone's like, wow, I, uh, I like this. Are you talking about the song Run Wild? Yes. Run Wild. Yeah. So called. the line is, uh, don't you want to run wild, live free, love strong, you and me? Yes. <laughs> and that's something that when people hear it, they're like, I just feel encouraged. I feel like I can... Like, I want to go be encouraging to somebody. So, uh, yeah. What would your 14-year-old self, who was still playing baseball, think of who you are today? Um, he would say, you better make a baseball movie. <laughs> Any plans for that? Uh, oh, uh, not in the immediate future, but in the future, yeah. You yeah. call it Fields of Dream. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There you go. Uh, a little farm boy with a pet pig becomes a pitcher. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you did it. It's time for you to recommend your three people. Okay. Um, the first one is going to be Clayton Jones. Do I, do I say anything about them? Or? Yeah, yeah. Just okay. a, yeah, so just, um, a quick summary. He's a, he's a friend of mine. Um, he's a uh, actor. He, he was in um, a, a lot of plays and things like that. And uh, he uh, is just an incredible human being and has gone through the ups and downs of what it is to be an actor in New York and L.A. and now um, living in Texas and um, – just the struggles and the triumphs of of, of doing that, and uh, he married an actor as well, and and, and how they balance that out, and it's just he has an incredible story. Cool. Um, and then another friend of mine, um, Kareem Kassem, he is a filmmaker, and he is uh, he travels the world and makes films, and he has uh, gone through a lot of intense uh, tragedy in in his life, and he instantly turns around and makes a, a film out of it, and um, his resilience in adversity is, is, is really incredible. And he always is, um, has a very incredible vision on, on, on life and, in uh, tackling things as they come. Um, and then my third person, I'm trying to think of, I think I'm thinking too much about like, um, cause I mean, my business partner is amazing, has an awesome story too. His music flavor is, is very fun. So I, I'll just recommend him too. So Michael Christensen, he's just his his music rec- his his music is probably ten times broader than mine and, and spans all kinds of different genres for for different reasons. So he is he's a fun a fun one to chat to about about music and and what came about when and and why it got popular. They were, he was always listening to something before it was a thing. Mm. Um, and when I am looking for music choices for films and stuff, I'm always like, all right. This is what I want it to feel like, and he's able to regurgitate something, and I think that's a, an incredible skill. Cool. Well, you you connect us with them best you can. We'll try to make that happen. I want to give a shout out to Bob Goodwin, who's who connected us. He's uh, I don't know, like episode sixty four guest, something like that. My childhood friend. Uh, you got any final thoughts for us, Ben? Wait, wait uh, before your final thoughts. We, Richard and I have something for you, yeah. Uh, yeah. and we hope that you can reciprocate. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. Oh, thank you. Uh, we we have to, you do the rooster too, right? Yeah, I would love to that hear was, you crow if you yeah, would like you to. Yeah, you got to do it. That's a Peter Pan that was, crow. Yeah. That, was, that was perfect. I watched the movie over a hundred times when yeah, I was like, a kid. Like, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to do that before, but I needed to do that before we ended this Awesome. Thing. Oh, thank you so much. Any final thoughts um, besides a rooster crow? No, I, yeah. Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. This is super fun. And yeah, I hope people can, uh, if you're ever feeling afraid of something, uh, throw on that Indiana Jones theme song because sometimes the fear makes it part of the adventure. And when something goes wrong and your tire blows out, it's also an adventure and can turn into a great story. So it's all what you make of it. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU on the campus of FGCU in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Richard Chinqui is co-creator, producer, and host. And Tara Callaghan is our online content producer and host. Audio production is from Jared the Intern Gonzalez, and Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Our parting tune this week is from this very episode. When we started the Raiders March from Indiana Jones, I re-remembered a moment from all the way back in elementary school. All the fifth grade classes decorated their rooms and then hosted the other classes for a day, and my teacher, Mr. Jackson, had hung playing cards from the ceiling. 
and upon entering the room to the Indiana Jones theme, fedora hat and all, he produced a bullwhip and began cutting them in half from across the room. Super cool. That's not the story. After school, he was cleaning up, and I stayed behind and asked how long it took him to learn that. He showed me how it worked and said I could learn to do it in probably five minutes. He was right. While he cleaned, I got closer and closer to that iconic crack sound. When it happened, it felt so cool. And then I hit myself in the face. If Mr. Jackson saw, he didn't say anything when I handed him the whip back saying that I was done for the day. But for a few minutes, I was as cool as Indy. Thanks, Mr. Jackson. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. That little guy with the, the Dutch boy haircut and I had buck teeth. Um, I, was a, I was an ugly kid. 